We are going to continue our series called Revival. So let me pray. God, we, we come before you right now and we have hearts that are hungry for more of you. We come before you right now and we have a hunger in our heart for what you want to do in us, what you want to do through us, what you want to do in this city, what you want to do in this region, what you want to do in lives of people that you've surrounded us with. And Lord, I thank you that you satisfy the hungry soul. You satisfy the longing soul. You fill the hungry soul with good things. And so we just declare that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18 if you want to. If you want to follow along, we'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, Let me just start off by asking, have you ever looked at your life and you realized that you just seem to be going through the same cycle over and over and over again. Has anybody ever been there before? It's like you seem to hit the same problem. You seem to hit the same offense. You seem to hit the same. uh, It it just seems like your life is on repeat. It sometimes seems that way. And, And that's really a picture of what the Old Testament is like a lot of times for the people of God. It's like they would do really well for a while but then they would do really bad for a while. And then they would do really well for a while, and then they'd do really bad for a while. And it was this cycle that just continued to repeat. In fact, if you read the book of Judges, what you see is, man, they were doing really well. They were free from sin. They were having revival, but then they were doing really bad. (laughs) Then they were doing really well and then doing really bad. That's the whole book of Judges, and it ends up with just saying that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's kind of how the book wraps up. But we see this example where the people of God had been through the cycle again, and now they've hit the spot where they're not doing so well, and along comes a guy named Elijah. And Elijah was a guy who, he has this famous encounter up on Mount Carmel. Now we have the picture, I just grabbed a random picture off the internet from, this is one shot of this mountain range that's there, and some of you guys have been there, but... Uh, th- this is one, one shot of that. And just imagine this guy going up on top of this and, just, and he's confronting these 400 and something prophets of Baal because the children of Israel and the people of God, they've all strayed and they're, they're worshiping false idols. And this, this, it's a mess, right? And so Elijah, he, he says, I'm going to just have a showdown right now. Let's see whose God is real. And whoever's God, whoever will, will be able to call down fire from heaven on his altar, then we'll just know. How many of you guys know that's a pretty good test? I mean, it's like if you're out there and you're like, you can call down fire from heaven and it strike your altar, you probably know what you're talking about. But also this was pretty risky for Elijah because this had never happened before. And he doused the whole thing in gallons and gallons and gallons of water first just to make it harder. <laughs> Now, so how many guys, if you're doing something with God, you do whatever you can to make it easier, right, at times. He made it as hard as possible so that everyone would know that God actually did this. And so then, here's what happens. Long story short, I'm not going to go into it all, but 1 Kings 18, 37. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones, listen to this, and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. How many of you guys know that's pretty convincing, right? Like, let's just do it all, right? Let's even just burn up the stones and the dust. And all, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, 
He's God. The Lord, he is God. And basically what we see is Elijah kind of ushers in this new wave. And it goes story after story, but Elijah did a bunch of miracles. We know all of that. And so we see this cycle that, that, that got broken again after it had been repeated again. And, and it happened up on this mount called Mount Carmel. Now, last year about this time, I was on sabbatical and I was on my own mount. <laughs> and it was actually a, a mountain. I've got a picture of it. It looks kind of similar. Go ahead and throw that out. It looks kind of similar. That's where I was at last year about this time. It was called Buffalo Jump, Mount Buffalo Jump. It really wasn't called Mount, but I just call it that because I was up there and I had one of those moments where it's like the fire of God came and just burn up everything at the same time. And I shared about it last year, about this time. Basically, I don't have time to share the whole story, but I was up on this, this, uh, this place right up here, and, and all of a sudden, it's like God just arrested me in a way I can't even describe. He did something, gave me a vision, but it was more than a vision. It was like an actual uh, thing that physically happened to me, basically blacked out. I just this whole, whole long story, don't have time to tell. All I can say is this. Ever since that moment that I had on my Mount Carmel, whenever I talk about the sabbatical, that time that I had with God, whenever I talk about that encounter with somebody one-on-one, here's what happens. It's like I get overly emotional about it. And if you know me, I'm not an overly emotional guy. And it's like I get to this point where I can't hardly talk about it. And, and I don't know why that was, but I the only thing I can guess is that something happened so deep in me that I don't have words to describe what happened. Nothing has happened like that before. Nothing has happened since. But every time I get close, it's almost as if when I get close to that moment in my memory, it's like I'm getting close to the Ark of the Covenant. It's like I'm getting close to the presence of God in such a way that I've never been able to get close to before. It's like God opened up a brand new container on the inside of me to feel his presence in a different way. And, and it's, it's amazing. And, I, and lately, the last several weeks when I've been preaching, it's like out of nowhere, I'll get to a point in the message where it's almost like I have a similar experience. Like Pastor Aaron talked about tonight, it was like hard to continue to lead worship. I've got to those points in messages recently, it's not every time, but where it's almost hard for me to continue. It's like I'm getting close to that moment. And, and, and I don't know why that is, but, but I was talking with some friends about that, and, and someone said to me, they said, well, maybe God is just showing you that you don't have to be on sabbatical to experience God in that deep of a way. And I thought, there's some truth to that. And again, it's like this new compartment opened up inside of me in a new way. How many of you guys would like a new compartment and capacity for God to open up on the inside of you? I believe that we don't have to continue to go through cycle after cycle where we go up and then back down and up and back down. And we've been showing lately, we've been showing these clips from this testimony night with our teenagers. And at the very end of that night, uh, my brother Ben came up because he was on the trip with us and he came up and shared some insights. I want you to listen to it. Let's watch. Hey, 
I just wanted to say it's not really about something that happened in me. And yes, those lights are very bright, but uh, it's something that I got to see. And even just sitting out here, I was looking at this picture up here, and I was like, you know, at first I was like, I'm going to go up there and say, you guys are not normal. You know, for what happened at this experience, you know, you went, if, if we were to say, you know, hey, you're going to have five or six hours of worship, you're going to have three to four hours of messages, and there's going to be no complaints, and everybody's going to run after it. And I was, I was thinking, you know, that's not normal. But God kind of corrected me back there. He's like, you know what? But that is my normal. That is, this can be normal. And so God was really just saying to challenge you guys that you guys can start a new normal. You know, you may have not thought that way before you went, but, and you're not going to be at church. Sean's not going to be up here giving you this many sermons, and Aaron's not going to be up here for worship all the time. Every day. But, but I'm saying the desire, the desire that I saw you guys have, and the way that God worked through it, I didn't hear of one fight. I didn't hear of one argument, and I was there, okay? And it's, but I, it, the whole time, you know, and like I think Tyler was saying, the first day people were like, there's going to be eight hours or 12 hours of services. That's what I thought too, you know? And so then I was like, oh my gosh. But, but uh, they say you guys are a generation that needs entertainment. And I think what we saw, the, inter- the only entertainment that was offered was God. That's it. And that was enough. That was more than enough. Nobody left that thing like, oh, man, that was horrible. I was bored. That was, that was really bad. It was, it was, you know, we needed a little more free time. I'll say that. But I'm saying nobody, nobody left, like, disappointed. And there was no hype. There was no, like I said, games. There was nothing that you would think that's what I'll enjoy. But that God, what God took was he took your guys's, he got your guys's attention and you guys gave him his, and that was enough for the week. A new normal. Did you catch that? The only entertainment that was offered is God. You, you realize that you can be so in love with following Jesus that that's all the entertainment you need? Do you realize that there can be a new normal that you walk in? And in fact, that's what revival, we talk about revival. Revival can create a new normal. You don't have to stay in the same cycle. Do you realize revival, it's not just the peak on on, on something that you're going to come back down. Do you realize when God stirs your heart in a deep way, you can break the cycle? Is anybody getting this tonight? You realize you can break the cycle? You realize that we belong to the same, you look at past revivals, we belong to the same church that George Whitfield belonged to, John Wesley belonged to, Charles Finney belonged to, we read the same Bible that they read, we, we have the same Holy Spirit that the Apostle Paul had. I mean, come on, we got all the stuff we need to break the cycle. So Elijah was having this revival but, but again, the pattern of the children of God was up and then down, up and then down. How, do you, how does Elijah, is it possible for him to break this instead of it just happening in a moment in a guy named Elijah? Elijah? And we see that, long story short, he meets a, a guy named Elisha. Now, how many of you guys have ever been confused by those names before? It's like, I don't know which guy was which. It's like, but they, this guy named Elisha started following him around. And so we can see in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, that it's at the end of Elijah's run, and he's getting ready to pass it off. And verse 9, it says, When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, 
Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said this. He said, he's bold. Think about all of the revival that Elijah had. He, he said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He wasn't just hoping to maintain or just thinking it was going to go back. He's like, I want a double portion of your spirit on me. We have two different generations. We have similar miracles. We have, we have a parting of the water. We have multiplication of oil. We have raising from the dead. But I believe if you look at the scripture, you see Elijah, there were 14 recorded miracles by Elijah, and there were 28 recorded miracles by Elisha. He did have a double portion of what Elijah had. Now that's crazy. That's awesome. That's a new normal. Do you realize what most of us do whenever we see God moving in somebody's life? Listen very carefully. I, I want to break something off of us today. I want us to have a deeper level of faith. Most of us, when we see God moving in somebody's life, we, we say, man, I wish I, could, I wish I could have half the anointing that person has. If I could just be half the man that person is or half the woman of God that person is, that would be amazing. Do you realize what Elisha said? He's like, I don't want to be half who Elijah is. I want to be twice the man he is. Like, I don't want to have half of his anointing. I want to have twice the anointing that Elijah had. Some of you need to get faith right now for that. That what you've seen before, you're not just going to have half, but you can have twice. You can have as much faith. See, God is no respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith. And the question is, who's going to have faith? So what, what does it take for us to have a new normal? God gave me these things a few weeks ago. And I really believe that when God starts to stir, there's a few things we need to have, few attitudes, few ingredients that we need to have about us. If we're going to go from an Elijah generation to an Elisha, where God does not just miracles, but God does a lot of things in us, we're going to have to have some things. And they may not be what you think, but I really believe they're important. The first one is this. We have to have honesty. We have to have honesty before God. We have to have honesty before other people. I want, I want my brother Ben to come up and share a story that happened this week. Give him a big hand as he comes up. He's going to share something that happened. All right. Well, he was talking about, well, I, I was talking about the new normal. And that kind of was really going through my head. And to be honest, I was kind of in a dry spot. I've been in kind of a dry spot spiritually, and I was ready for a new normal, something different. Nothing was wrong, but I was just ready for this series of revival. And... Um, so we came off that event, and, you know, Sean's talking about revival, and everything's still on a high like he's talking about. And, um, you know, first week went by, he did a revival series, and I get excited for Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday happens, you kind of get calmed back down because life happens. Same thing again the next week, you get calmed back down. But then something was different about last, well, this week, last Sunday, and um, I got excited again when he was talking about revival. And, you know, Monday happened. You know, you start to get busy with work and everything like that. But then Dylan, my son, he, he asked me Monday, he said, hey, can I have some friends over to have a prayer and worship night at the house? And I was like, sure, why not? And so he invites, whatever, 10 people, whoever, and Tuesday night comes around when it's time to, to have the event. I'm sitting on the couch. All the teenagers show up, and, you know, they hang out and joke around for a little bit. And then Dylan sh comes in with his guitar, and he's like, hey, we're going to go downstairs. And so I think 10 teenagers went downstairs to the basement, way underneath my garage. I don't know if you guys have been to my house, some of you, but it's all concrete and it's a game room underneath there. And so they all went down there. So it's just Lydia and I upstairs and I'm sitting on the couch and she's kind of pacing and she's like, don't you want to go down there? And I'm like, no, that's kind of their thing. You know, I'm letting them do it. 
I was just being honest. I was kind of wore out and busy. And so she's still pacing. So she's like, okay, I'm going to go down there. So she goes down, and I'm still sitting upstairs. And so I'm basically, I'm alone upstairs, just sitting there. They're so far down under, in that concrete room, I can't hear them. And I'm just sitting there with my arms folded, sitting on the couch. And God began to, to you know, just ask me the question of, why aren't you down there? Why aren't you down there? And so I wrestled with it for a minute, and I gave in a little bit. I moved from the couch over to by my front door, and I sat on the top of the stairs. I did. I sat on the top of the stairs, and I could barely hear the songs they were singing. And it was enough that I just started to hum along, just kind of, you know, just sitting there. I'm not really participating, but I'm just humming a little bit. And I know something's happening. I can tell something's happening in the basement. God is moving. But I hadn't decided to jump into it. And so I sit there for a little bit, and again, God's like, why aren't you going down there? And so I finally, I went down farther. I gave in a little more, and I sit down by our office. Now, I could hear everything that was going on clearly, and they didn't know I was down there because they're back in the hallway. And now I'm sitting in the chair singing, feeling like I'm a part of it. You know, I'm, I'm fully engaged. I can hear the music. I can hear them singing, and I'm participating from a distance. And then God nudges me again. He says, why aren't you in the room? And so I'm like, I finally swallow my pride. I'm like, I don't want to go into the middle. This thing's already started. You know, I'm going to walk in. And so anyway, I swallow my pride. I walk down the hallway, and I walk into the room. This is what I see. I see Sean passed out underneath my ping pong table. I see Tyler curled up on my treadmill. I see some of the other boys, Jack, I think, laying on the floor. Caitlin's laying on the floor. Everybody else's eyes closed or crying or hands raised singing, and Dylan's got the guitar leading. And I begin to worship with them. And I'm telling you, God showed up in my basement on a Tuesday night when those kids could have got together and did anything. But they decided that I'm going to show up and worship God because that's what we want to do. And I got to be a part of it. So they stayed in there for a long time. I backed out and God began to show me. He's like, you know, that's how a lot of us are. We can, some of us, some of you guys in this room, you're sitting up on the couch, which by the way, that couch is about as far away from that basement room of my house. And you're like, you know what? I don't really even want to participate in this thing that he's called revival that Sean is getting, that Sean's talking about. You're just like, I'm just going to stay here. This is comfortable. It's where I've been. I've always been. And then there's somebody else that you guys might say, well, I'm close enough. I want to get a little closer. I don't want to, I'm not against it, but I don't want to fully jump in at all. I'm going to sit far off to where nobody notices, and I'm going to slightly participate. And then some of you, maybe these are the people that are the most scary spot. You're sitting in the basement like I was participating to where you could almost convince yourself that you're in. And God's saying you're not in until you're all in into the room. And so I think, and I just want to challenge you tonight, something else real quick, if you fast forward two more days to Thursday, all, everybody was gone out of my house, and that never happens. I'm never at home alone. But the girls were gone to camping, Dylan was out with friends, and I'm sitting on the couch at night. You realize how boring you really are when you're home alone by yourself. You know, I'm like, oh, there's nothing to do. And so I'm sitting there, and so I flip on the TV, I'm flipping through for like an hour. And finally, I hear this. It's the same nudging that happened the other night. And God said, why don't you shut the TV off and spend some time with me? And I'm telling you, I shut the TV off. 
I began to walk outside. I live on 10 acres out there, and I began to walk outside and pray and sing to God. I quickly went back inside because the mosquitoes were biting me like crazy. But I went back inside, and I spent two and a half hours. It was one of the most, it was like I was at TNT, but I was at home. I spent two and a half hours just worshiping and talking to God because I chose to. And so my challenge and the thing to you guys is, you'll, you know, this thing started with the teenagers maybe. You know, they went to Bold and got fired up, but it doesn't have to stop there. And us as adults, we say, yeah, I got too much going on. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I got too many places to take the kids. I got too much things to do. But you'll have as much of God as you give him time to do. And so I just want to challenge you that, you know, we're talking about a new normal. You will not get a new normal unless you do something new. So that's really all I had to say. That's good. So we got to honestly ask ourselves where we're at. Do we really want that to happen? Let's go back to the story. First Kings chapter 19, we see when Elijah and Elisha first meet. We see when this, this transfer begins to happen. It says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was the 12th. And Elijah passed by him, and he cast his cloak on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen, and he sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah, and he assisted them. What happened? This was the family business that Elisha was running and being a part of. It had oxen and a farm, and they had the yokes. What does he do? When he sees his opportunity for revival... He takes the yokes that were attached to the oxen. He uses that for firewood. And then he takes the, the, the oxen and then he cooks them. <laughs> he basically has a barbecue, guys, okay? We're in Kansas City. He basically has a barbecue and he feeds it to everybody. He was, what was he doing? He was, this was his livelihood. He was basically saying, I'm burning the ships. There's no turning back. He has a barbecue. We're having one. The 50-plus event's happening this, this Friday, I believe, having a barbecue. I'm, I'm speaking at it. So excited about that. How, how many of you guys love barbecue? Anybody love barbecue? All right. Yeah. He loved barbecue, but you know what? He loved God enough to create one because <laughs> the barbecue represented something. The barbecue represented a new normal for him. No matter who you are, do you realize this? No matter who you are, God requires the same percentage of you. No matter who you are, God requires 100% of each and every single one of us. It's not like some people, God's like, well, I'm really going to use this person. I'm really not going to use, well, this person really is busy with their life and their kids right now, so I don't need to use that. No, God requires the same percentage of every single one of us. And we've got to be honest. Do we really want to seek God? Do we really want God to move in our life at a deep level? Or do we want to continue the cycle? Second thing we need to have this new normal is, is something called humility. Because one of the biggest barriers to when we see God moving in the life of someone else, and especially someone younger than us, ah, that's just for them. Some people might ask, they say, well, why did God create the devil? Have you ever wondered this? Like, why did God create Satan? 
You could say it this way. God didn't create Satan. Pride did. And pride can hold us back from what God, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with, here it is, humility towards one another. For God, listen to this, God opposes the proud. This is a problem if we are walking in pride, isn't it? God is opposing the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why does God desire to use humble people? It's because our lives are supposed to give glory to God. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And humble people aren't competing for glory that belongs to God. So God will use humble people because that's part of his purpose. Now, we've got to be clear about this. Humility, contrary to what you might think, humility is not thinking lower of yourself. Humility is not making yourself smaller. Humility is not thinking lower of yourself. Here's the way I define humility. Humility is not thinking what you think and starting to think what God thinks. So I can say it this way. Humility is when you start thinking like God. Humility is not thinking lower of yourself. Humility is what is thinking what God thinks. It's seeing what God sees. That's ultimate humility. Let me share another testimony with one of our, our teenagers. When we were at the conference, God began to show him a vision. So let's listen to Tyler's vision. When I was really little, I, like, I always knew I was supposed to be a pastor. But then as I got older, like, I kind of drifted away from that. And I was like, oh, I want to be a police officer. Oh, I want to be a soccer player. But then God was like, no, I want you to be a pastor because you're going to do my work. And it's going to be amazing. And I was like, all right, that sounds cool. And then, uh, let's see, (sighs) second day, I had a really funky vision. Um, Like Grace had said, like, the bass was, like, incredibly loud. It, like, almost hurt if you were close enough. Um, I, I was just, like, on my knees worshiping. And then God was like, lay down. And I was like fine. Uh, It's useless to resist that. So I laid down, and it's like the second my head hit the ground, um, I mean, have you guys seen Doctor Strange whenever, like, the lady goes, and then his spirit just goes, and it, like, comes out. It's really weird, but it was just like that, and I was, like, I was still in the auditorium and stuff, and then I was looking around, and I was like, this is weird. And then I look at the speakers, and it's that bass hitting again and again and again. But each time the bass hits, it's like an angel just flew out of the speakers and, like, yelling a war cry or something crazy like that. And then I look to my left, and I saw a bunch of uh, demons, actually, forming ranks, like getting ready for a battle. And the angels kept coming and coming and coming, and they started forming their ranks. And, like, they really outnumbered the demons as crazy um then it's like there's one continuous strum of the bass and that's when the angels like charged it was really i honestly i'm i can't describe it like how amazing it was to watch because they just like crashed into them and it just was over just like that um 
then they started like just marching around the room, just like a nutcracker. They just started mar marching around the room, just like worshiping God. And I was like, that is amazing. I want to do that. And then, so like I said earlier, I was laying down. But after this all happened, I just, I don't know what you'd call it. But I woke up, and I found that a bunch of people's hands were all over me, like on my face and shoulders and arms. It was really weird. And I had no idea they were there. And then I woke up, and like a couple of you guys can actually confirm this, I was freaked out. Because I'm like, what the heck? I have a, f I have a hand on my face. <laughs> so then I just shot up, like, whew. And I'm like, okay, that was weird. Um, but then I was just filled with, like, this overwhelming sense of joy and, like, peace. And I was just like, what just took place happens all the time. It's like, I don't, mm, I don't know. It was just, wow. It was just incredible. And it's, it's just like, it shows God's pure might against the devil's. They outnumbered him like crazy. I, it was just insane. That's pretty crazy, right? Crazy vision. I, I want you to understand, though, Tyler wasn't the first one to see something like that. Because we, we find a story of Elisha, and he's kind of in trouble. Uh, he's being surrounded in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. It says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, he looks out and he sees an army of horses and chariots that were all around the city. They're getting ready to take over. And there's trouble, right? And the servant says, Alas, my master, what do we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elijah prayed. Watch what he's praying. I, I, want, I want to suggest that what, Eli, what Elisha is praying is that this servant would be humble. Watch, watch this. He says, then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All of a sudden, this guy could now see what God sees. And I believe that, if we, that what humility really is, we need the kind of humility that thinks what God thinks and not what we think. We need the kind of humility that sees what God sees and not what we see or what we want to see. I'm going to say something pretty bold. I believe that the most humble thing you can do is act like God. I didn't say try to be God. <laughs> but the most humble thing you can do is to figure out what God is doing and copy that, follow that. Figure out what God is thinking and think that. Think about that. Figure out what God is saying. Begin to talk that and talk about that. That's the most humble thing you can do because it's simply saying this. God, I surrender my way and I fully embrace your way. That's the most humble thing you could do. And so sometimes we think that humility is bringing ourselves low, but sometimes the most humble thing we could do is the biggest thing we've ever done. Because it's not, that, guys, I'm preaching way better than you guys are getting this, okay? I'm just telling you. There's, this is truth right here that will set some people free, okay? 
Because some of you want to hold yourself down and you think you're being humble. But no, you're just thinking the way you think because God is a big God. God wants to do big things. And the most humble thing you could do is think big God thoughts and not your own small thoughts. And by doing that, it erases pride. You realize God opposes the proud. If we're thinking our thoughts, guess what? We're running against God's thoughts. And if we want to see revival happen, if we want to see God move, we're going to have to stop thinking our thoughts and start thinking his. See what God sees. Say what God says. The last thing is this. We're going to have to have honor. And again, this may be surprising. But, but watch what happens here in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. This is right, right as he's getting ready to leave. Elijah's getting ready to be taken up and he's getting ready to pass it off to Elisha to get the double portion. And as they still went on and they talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried. He said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then evidently Elijah's coat or mantle or cloak fell down and it says that, that he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that Elijah that, that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. So this mantle of Elijah somehow carried some sort of supernatural significance. It had some sort of supernatural element to it, supernatural power. Do you realize that we all have something like this? We all have an, a mantle, if you will, that we can impart things to other people. The weekend, the, what was happening here was, was honor was being shifted from one to the next. I talked about anointing uh, last week. This anointing that, that was all over Elijah was passed on in a different way. It wasn't to copy it, but it was passed on in some way. And what I'm simply saying is this. There is power in your mantle. In other words, whenever you honor someone else's gift, whenever you honor what the work of God that he's doing in someone else, when, whenever you honor what God is doing in an area or what God is doing in a service or what God is doing in a church or what God is doing in your spouse, whenever you honor them, there is something that, that transfers, that carries revival culture with it. And we have, uh, we have these opportunities, mantle opportunities all the time. From generation to generation, yes, Ben, when, when he went down into his basement and with those kids that were there and he stood and he didn't take over, but he stood and worshiped with them, what was he doing? He was placing his mantle on them. And he was saying, I'm honoring the work that God is doing in these young people's lives right now. We have opportunities to pass honor, to put our mantle on other people, to validate the, and honor the work of God in someone else. Listen, some of us, even in our own marriages, we don't even, some of us are hindered from revival because our marriages aren't honoring. We don't, we don't honor one another. You know, and, and it's because this happens in every single relationship. See, we have, how many of you guys have, just admit that you have an expectation that somebody ought to act a certain way, right? Anybody? Okay. Anybody at all? Two people, three people. All right. We all do. Okay. And we expect everyone to be what we want them to be, what we need them to be, what we expect them to be. But how many of you guys know you don't always get to call the shots and you don't always get to pick who you get to honor or how they're acting when you honor them even? So in, in marriage, I, I love this, this quote that I heard 
uh, a while back, and it says this. It says, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if, it, how many of you guys would just say amen to that right there? You're just like, I don't know what happened, right? Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage being the enormous thing that it is means that we are not the same person after we've entered it. The primary problem is, listen to this, learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. The point is this. Let's just put it in a marriage relationship just real quick. So many of us are, find it difficult to honor the person that we're married to, honor the people we're around. Why? Because they're not the person we expect them to be. But listen, what this is simply saying is that we are going to grow and change. And if you have an expectation that people are going to be in the same spot before you'll honor them, you'll never honor anyone. If you have an expectation for the people around you or for a church or for church leadership or for your friends or for your parents even, that it's always got to be a certain way. Listen, people are growing and changing all the time. Uh, another quote I heard about this is this. When I married my wife, I, hardly, I had hardly a smidgen of sense for what I was getting into with her. How could I know how much she would change over 25 years? How could I know how much I would change? My wife has lived with at least five different men since we wed, and each of the five has been me. Some of you guys are going to get that on the way home because they just... <laughs> the point is this. You've been five or six different variations since the, if you've been married any length of time. The same is true in any relationship. The point is this, we don't always get to pick the perfect situation to choose when to honor. We honor the gift of God in people. We honor the work of God in people. We honor even by faith before we see it in other people. We honor what God is doing in teenagers' lives because we believe that as we honor, our mantle gets supernaturally transferred to other people. But it's not just honoring from one generation to the next. It's honoring different giftings. It's honoring different callings. It's honoring different people. Psalm chapter 69, verse 32 says, The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged. Let me just admit that I've struggled at times in this area. I've struggled at times with rejoicing at the good work of God in other people. Let me just be honest. Sometimes it's because of jealousy or envy. Sometimes it's because of pride and insecurity because I just wanted the work of God to flow through me or somehow be connected to it. See what honor does. When, when you have honor in your life, it's basically getting set free from having to be the center of God's attention. And in our me-centered culture, this may be one of the hardest things for us. See, honor requires that you're set free from being the center of God's attention. It means that you can honor someone even if you get nothing out of it. It means you honor the work that God is doing, the revelation that God is giving, the, the, the healing that God is bringing, even if it doesn't mean it has any connection to you whatsoever. Bill Johnson said this quote, and we'll put it up. It says, a culture of honor is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. And for some of us, we're not experiencing the revival 
in our life because we don't know how to honor what God is doing around us or even by faith what God will do. And whenever honor stops, everything begins to stop. Mark chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, this famous passage of Scripture when Jesus said to them, he said, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And listen to this. Jesus, could do, Jesus did miracles all the time, but here's where he couldn't. He could do no mighty work there except that he lays his hands on a few sick people and healed them. What, what I'm saying is this. When we fail to honor, we limit what God can do. Even Jesus couldn't do the work he needed to do when there was no honor. Revival will not come or it will not last without honor. If it's all about us, it will not happen. Humility, we could say, is the antidote to pride, but I think a better word, a better action word to be the antidote to pride is honor because it's more of an active word. If you want to get rid of pride in your life to see revival, then start looking for people to honor. Start looking for your, your mantle to start being placed over people. To start looking for your mantle to be placed on people that says God is doing a work in your life. Honoring the work of God and others. Honoring the anointing of God and others. Honoring the call of God on others. I'm going to have the worship team come back at this time. So we're running a little bit late. But Too often our thing is the thing and so we shut down God's thing. That's what I'm trying to say. But God wants to do something in this city. God wants to do something among us. Do you believe that? Can you, can you feel that? God wants to do something, but it won't happen without honesty. It won't happen without humility, and it won't happen without honor. It may spark, but it won't last. So how can we practice these things this week? I'm going to just give you a few quick things, just real quick. Number one, schedule an appointment with God this week and just be real. Just do what Ben did and just have a conversation with God and say, do I really want this? Do I really want to sacrifice the oxen for this? Do I really want to do this? And don't sugarcoat it. Don't spiritualize it. Don't just be real with God. That's, that's it. Number two, you want to start walking in humility, then I, I'm going to suggest this. Start practice Practice this week thinking like God thinks. Practice this week having God thoughts. Practice this week when you see someone this week. Ask yourself and ask God a better, better way to do it. Ask God, God, what do you see when you look at this person? God, what do you see when you look, when you look at my spouse? What do you see when you look at my kids? I know what I see, but what do you see? Because I don't want to walk in my pride of thinking I know what I can see. I want to see what you see, God. I want to humble myself. Asking that question when you're walking around the, the grocery store, God, what are you doing today? How can I be a part of it? That's one of the most powerful questions I, I ask with God all the time. Okay, God, what are you doing in this building? How can I be a part of it? What are you doing in my family? How can I be a part of it today? Start thinking God thoughts. Start thinking what God's thinking. Number three, who do you need to put your mantle on in honor this week? Spouse, kids, friend, someone in leadership. I don't know who it is. I do know this. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, this is one of the few times when we get to have a competition as Christians to outdo one another. If we're going to outdo one another in anything, it's going to be, I'm going to out-honor you. I'm going to find ways to honor other people. I'm going to find ways to honor the work, the little. You may see a thousand wrong things in your kids, but you begin to honor the one spark of the work of God and begin to watch that thing grow. You honor the work of God. You honor. You see only what God sees. You say only what God says. That's how revival begins to last in our lives. Amen. Can we stand up and and get ready to close out in prayer, worship one more time? God, I pray that this word would sink deep in our hearts. Do something that only you can do. Something only by revelation can certain things happen. So I just pray revelation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you so much that you humbled yourself and you did the biggest thing that ever happened. You laid down your life. You saved all of humanity. Gave us a way back to the Father. Took upon the, the sin of the world. For that, we praise you. We give you glory and honor tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship one more time.